Hi, and welcome to the Lactation Training Lab podcast. I am your host, Christine, and today we will be talking about the relationship between breastfeeding and things, uh, gadgets and tools, because we want to explore here whether we are product specialists or process specialists and how we find the balance between those two focuses and approaches on lactation care. There's a few conflicts we should talk about before we start as we kind of define the issue here. We really are discussing the relationship between ethical practice and use of devices. One of the big conflicts there is is that there can be provider bias for various reasons, as well as a difference, a vast difference in our knowledge of devices amongst us. Some of us are very skilled at using devices and others are less so, sometimes simply because they don't have a lot of clients who have access to devices. So there are inequities there in client access to devices. If you live or practice in a place where people just don't find it useful or helpful to use devices, you might have less experience using them and less comfort with uh, recommending them. Or you may live in a place where most of your clientele are unable to afford or even find and access devices and tools. So that might just not be something that's in your toolbox versus somebody who lives somewhere where access to those products is pretty much universal. And also there's a difference between what we say publicly when we're teaching a group or speaking to a group or posting things on social media where everybody can read it versus the direct care and counseling of an individual person actually providing an assessment and evaluation and making a recommendation based on their specific situation. So it can get really confusing. There's a lot of things to think about here. And I want to kind of kick this off by just saying that this conversation is really intended to encourage you as an individual lactation care provider to really thoughtfully consider your own responsibilities with an open mind. Uh, be willing to engage on this. Be willing to communicate with others about your ideas and the decisions that you make about using devices and recommending them with your clients. Because ethical practice is a process and it requires nurturing and things change over time and experience levels and comfort levels change over time and there's always something new to consider. So I will let you know right now, I am humbly walking this path myself as an IBCLC. This is something I am doing at the same time as you. So I encourage conversation about this and definitely an open mind because this is definitely not meant to vilify anybody for the choices that they make. It's simply to open up this conversation so that we're all thinking really critically about the ways that we approach the use of devices with breastfeeding, because it would be really easy to start off here and just say, well, no one needs devices or tools, and that would just make everything a whole lot easier, right? But that's not reality. That's not the real world. In the real world, people are being marketed to, and they are receiving lots of messages about using tools, and some of those messages are very positive such as when somebody receives a recommendation from a peer who felt like the tool or device or gadget that they used was really helpful in their situation. 
And there's also negative messaging out there about tools and devices saying, oh, I hated doing that. I hated having to use that. It was so difficult for me. Or those are so expensive. And I don't know how people can justify saying that you need to have that. So you can see, you know, already as we look at this from many different angles, there's a lot of potential conflicts here for people who are, you know, thinking about using products and thinking people who are like us as providers, thinking about talking about them with our clients. There's really this growing need for us to think about this and be intentional about it on an ongoing basis because people have access to these things in many of our areas. Much of our population has access to more items. And we know for sure as specialists in this area that products are only as good as the information and technique that people have. You know, it can be really wonderful to have the exact tool or product that you need to fill in a gap or solve a problem. But if you don't know how to use it (laughs) or you don't have a really good quality product, sometimes that can interfere and that can actually make things harder. So that's where we start to get into finding that balance between being a product specialist or a process specialist. And what I really mean with that is to say the difference between being a specialist in the process of lactation and the process of feeding a baby versus being a specialist in how to use products. And there's a place for all of that. This is about finding a balance. And of course, there's always going to be some people and some providers who are really skilled at using products and recommending them and knowing which product is best for which client and which problem. And there's always going to be people who don't have as much experience because it's just not something that comes up with the clientele that they have. And, you know, just the more products there are, the more things there are that can help a breastfeeding or lactation situation, then the more knowledge that we're expected to have. It's our responsibility. So for IBCLCs, this is pretty clearly spelled out in our guiding documentations. We need to be able to, you know, according to our clinical competencies, provide evidence-based information to the client regarding the use of techniques, appliances, and devices. When we do that, we need to avoid bias or the appearance of bias. We need to use the existing evidence. And we need to be responsible always to know and be able to interpret research and findings about products and strategies. You know, right off the top, the simplest thing that we need to understand and remember about research, what we can teach parents and families is that marketing is not research. Information that comes from the company which makes a product, that's not research. Even if it sounds like research on the surface, That's not what we use to make decisions about evidence. So we really want to make sure that we ourselves are not falling prey to that as well. We are also responsible to evaluate, critique, and demonstrate the use of techniques and devices which support breastfeeding. While we are being aware that some devices may be marketed without evidence to support their usefulness, and they could be harmful to breastfeeding. So we're responsible to evaluate and discern marketing from evidence. And, you know, nothing made this more clear than the advent a few years ago of the silicone breast pump. Uh, There's just, there's still at this point, really no published evidence on the use of them. So it's hard to be 
you know, it's hard to make a rationale for the way that they are being recommended and the way that they're being used across the board to resolve problems. And in some cases, you know, parents are telling one another, families are sharing this with one another, but we need to be careful as providers to ensure that people understand the difference between anecdotal and actual science-based research. And we need to be also at the same time able to weigh out the potential benefits of something that simply hasn't been researched and published yet, you know, something that could be useful and something that there might not ever be any research on, something that people have just always done. So we're when we're looking at these things, we have to weigh out a lot of different perspectives and angles. It's our within our clinical competencies to do that. It's also within our clinical competencies and responsibilities to promote, protect, and support breastfeeding. So when we hold that above all, we take into account our clients' desires, their goals. We need to make sure that we are carefully balancing when our client desires to breastfeed, that we are ensuring that use of products especially when they're being used to resolve a problem or, or bridge a gap, that we make sure we are clear about how temporary these devices could be. When we are interrupting breastfeeding or chest feeding for any reason to use a device, we need to be clear that our intention, if their desire is to resume breastfeeding or chest feeding, that this is a temporary measure not something they're meant to transition into as a regular practice. So unless that's what they want, we need to be clearly making a distinction between the temporary use of something and transitioning into something long-term. And we've talked about this for years when it comes to formula, making sure that if, if families need to use formula to bridge a gap, that we talk about it for what its use is being recommended for a temporary problem, you know, something that we expect to go away, a need that we don't expect them to have long-term versus, you know, something that is more established in terms of low milk production and a need for a different kind of food for the baby. So when we are fulfilling our duties of supporting, protecting, and promoting breastfeeding, we are providing evidence-based education about breastfeeding and human lactation to everyone, to the world, through our group, uh, education through our messaging that goes out publicly on social media to any audience of multiple people, of groups, of, of large groups of people. We advocate for breastfeeding in all settings and promote breastfeeding as the child feeding norm. So our, our messaging, the preponderance of it, most of it really needs to be around breastfeeding and human lactation and human milk feeding as the physiological norm. And we need to make sure that we are viewed as supporting practices which promote breastfeeding and discourage practices which interfere. So that's pretty easy. That's what we pretty much do for the most part. So we need to make sure that we're intentional about deciding how much of our messaging is around promoting and supporting and protecting breastfeeding as the physiological norm and as something that most people do in accordance with what we know as the global context. We wanna keep this simple. When we're working with people one-to-one, -one, when we start to do individual counseling, 
you really want to keep it simple for them. We want to look at this through a very logical and ethical lens. And when we do that, we can see easily that overall, the fewer devices, tools, or products someone is using, the simpler their process and their routine for feeding or milk expression is going to be. The fewer tasks that they have or items they need to maintain and clean and afford and all of those things, the easier it's going to be. They're going to require fewer external resources if they're not needing devices and tools and products. Uh, you know, people often express complex reactions and emotions about the products and things that they use on their lactation journey. Even when they love the outcome of what using that product meant for them, such as, you know, by being able to pump, they were able to maintain breastfeeding after they return to school or work, they can still express negative emotions and negative feelings about having had to use it or how it felt or how tied down they felt by having to use that or how much extra work it made for them. So even when they appreciate the value and the benefits, that doesn't make it a net positive effect for them. Sometimes it makes it uh, you know, it's kind of a, a balance between those two things. So we want to make sure to, you know, discuss those possibilities with people and make sure that anything that we're recommending or what they're asking about, that they understand that there can be, you know, cons and pros to deciding to use something and especially make it very clear for them, again, when something might be a temporary use versus a more permanent use. And where are the, the places along that pathway that they could make a different choice? Just because someone has started exclusively pumping, for instance, doesn't mean they have to keep doing that forever. They could go back and breastfeed too. Um, or if they've decided not to you know, use a nipple shield anymore, but they continue to struggle and decide that they want to resume using a nipple shield for a time, they can go back and make that choice as well. Most decisions that they make are not permanent. So when we're clear about that and we help them to see that there's more options than they thought, it tends to empower people to make the best decision for themselves rather than what they really, you know, are feeling like pressured to do. Now, there's a common argument that I hear, a thing that people say when I talk about this, and you might be thinking it yourself. I, I can hear some of you probably thinking this right now. You might be thinking, well, I have to know about these things, and I have to be talking about them, and I have to be posting about them because people are using them. Of course, that's co completely right. I am not, de I'm definitely not arguing against you knowing about them talking about them, recommending them, <laughs> definitely not saying that. I really want that to be clear. In public messaging situations especially, please do talk about things, especially if the group that you're talking to, that's something that feels very common for them, feels very normal to them. We want you to be talking about the reality of what lactation journeys look like today in 2021, wherever you are. That's what people need to hear. What's real? What are they going to see? What are they going to hear people talking about? They need to be aware of what that will be like for them. But it's important that when we do that, when we speak publicly, we talk about things 
in general. We describe their function. We use generalities. We avoid brand names. We use illustrations or graphics that don't depict a very particular brand. There's no reason for us to talk about brand names in a group teaching type situation, with the exception of, I'll put this one on the shelf, when we are teaching each other. <laughs> Otherwise, how are we going to share information? But if we're teaching um, publicly, we're teaching groups, we're putting out public messaging, there isn't any reason for us to do that. And if we do that, it can appear as if we are endorsing a specific brand which is its own ethical question in itself. So make sure that our public messaging is going to be more of a description about a thing and what it does versus a brand name. You'll notice that I use the term silicone breast pump so that I don't have to use the name of any particular one. And then if I wanted to say, well, there is a brand which, you know, is used by more people uh, because it's more publicly available, it's more accessible to more people, or it's considered of higher quality where people find that it's easier to clean. There, we can always talk about features uh, without talking about brand names. We can talk about battery operated breast pumps versus double electric breast pumps. We can talk about what things do very easily, and that can be a very useful piece of information for people who are trying to make a choice about using them. Our goal here is to eliminate the appearance of a conflict of interest so that we are educating about things, but not endorsing them. We, there's really no reason for us to need to do that. So just to kind of reiterate why this is really so important for us to be intentional about the way that we talk about things and to be working on this balance between being a process specialist and supporting and protecting and promoting breastfeeding versus talking about being a process specialist. The reality of the, the fact that we have so many things that people have the ability to use and access is that there's a lot of unintended or unwanted use of products like breast pumps, nipple shields, ointments or other treatments that people put on their nipples for trauma or pain, feeding bottles or cups, supplemental nursing devices and tubes. And when people are using things, when they sort of end up using things that they never intended to, that can change their experience in a way they weren't really planning for. There's also a lot of one of the things I see in, in my clients unintended or unwanted need for expression of milk, which comes with its own set of tasks, such as storage and thawing and feeding expressed milk. If that was never within their desires or goals, but somebody incorrectly or inappropriately told them that they needed to pump in order to breastfeed, then we end up in this cycle of unintended and really unwanted expression of milk or even overexpression of milk where people are trying to build a giant stash of milk in their freezer that they don't actually need and they have no plans to be using. That creates a lot of extra tasks, a lot of extra work that sometimes people can resent. So that's another way that, you know, when tools and feeding devices are heavily marketed 
to the parenting population, they tend to get the impression that they have to do expression of milk, that they have to have a lot of milk on hand, that they have to feed their baby away from their chest or breast when that's not really what they wanted. And it doesn't really make any sense for them, but it sort of seemed like everybody does it. And we also have to always be aware of the issue of the lack of resources for families to be able to obtain or purchase tools, feeding devices, products, or to continue their use. Because the reality for some families, I would even say many families, is that devoting or investing their precious financial resources into products or devices that they don't actually need in order to feed their baby is pretty unethical. Asking people to purchase things, rent things, um, buy something continually that they don't really need to be using, um, especially by their own plans, their own desired objectives of feeding their baby, that really is not appropriate. So if we're giving everyone the impression that they need to be expressing their milk and storing it in the freezer, then people end up with this ongoing need to purchase storage bags to put that milk into the freezer. And they have ongoing needs to be cleaning those products and changing out the parts which are not, you know, which need to be changed on their breast pump. So we get people into this cycle. And for some families, that cycle begins at the beginning. They never have in the beginning, you know, in the initiation of it, the ability to really obtain or purchase those tools. And if they can't get them, but we've given them the impression that they need them, they may feel really, really bad about their ability to take care of their baby, when in reality, they have all the ability that they need. So this is what being careful and intentional about how we talk about products, that's how it really can affect people. We want to be aware of the mental health effects of implying to families that they need a lot of stuff in order to feed their baby. You know, that we can simplify everything for people. We really can get it down to the simplest process, the least amount of tasks, the least amount of financial resources invested. And if people have a need to, you know, purchase gifts for one another that have to do with having a new baby, recommending, suggesting, you know, telling people that the best gift that they can give someone who's planning to breastfeed is the gift of help. You know, a gift card for a lactation consult is a really wonderful gift, and it really can also help them give that impression and help people understand that if you're having a problem, the answer is to get help, not to go buy a thing. And when they go on social media and when they go online, the answer that comes up for them in most searches is go buy this thing. (laughs) So that's, you know, one of those places that we can make a change. We can help people understand that spending their money on the experience of getting support and help is more valuable than being able to go out and buy a lot of things, some of which they may never use. Another risk we want to really consider here is even noted in the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine Protocol number 32, which covers the management of hyperlactation. It specifically cites iatrogenic causes, things that we do of hyperlactation, such as a healthcare provider 
recommending routine milk expression after breastfeeding or the routine use of galactagogues. And we have battled this in my community for years. Pediatricians telling people that in order to breastfeed, they also have to pump or deciding that they're going to tell everyone to use fenugreek or another galactagogue. It's really important that we help healthcare providers understand that sometimes it's what they say or what they recommend that is creating these problems, that's creating uh, complications for people. It's not benign to tell someone that they have to pump if breastfeeding is going okay. You know, if everything is going well, adding in a tool or a device is not benign. It doesn't just add something that won't affect anything and it isn't necessarily a positive. It's not necessarily a negative either, but we really need to help people be aware of both potential things. We really want to make sure that they understand that, you know, adding something in doesn't always make it better. It doesn't always make it worse and it doesn't always leave things the same and untouched. So, you know, we all know, and it's also recommended in that protocol, that lactation care is always individualized, not generalized. It keeps babies and parents safer. And we want to remember that when we're creating messages that are going out through social media, messages that are public and teaching that is, you know, for a group or public. We need to make sure that our messaging is not A or B. It's not use this because it's always great or never use this because it's always harmful. It needs to be more about function and more about what these things are typically used for and how to get help with using it if you're thinking about it. Those are the kind of things we need to be talking about um, instead of saying all of these devices are terrible and they always mess things up for people because we know that's not true. <laughs> that's not the way this works. It really needs to be individualized and customized to what's going on for that particular dyad. Now, when we think about these mental health effects of products and devices and tools, here are some of the things that parents say that, that and the ways in which it can affect people. Having a lot of extra tasks to do um, upon or as part of their lactation or infant feeding, it can contribute to a lack of enjoyment of parenthood. You know, having to do extra things, having a lot of extra work, that can be difficult and it can put some obstacles up there for people. It can create depressive symptoms when they feel resentful about some of those things they have to do. They can experience anxiety about their parenting ability, as we discussed before. If they feel they don't have the capacity themselves to feed their baby without using a lot of stuff, that can affect how they feel about, you know, their confidence about being able to take care of their baby. Not just feed their baby, but care for their baby overall. They can develop feelings of needing to rely on others for help due to the increased workload of feeding the baby and expressing milk. So every time we, you know, encourage somebody to express milk after they're feeding their baby, we have to remember the toll that that takes on people. The difficulty of, you know, the, the simplest thing you can think of, babies having difficulty latching. And, you know, so picture the experience, 
trying to latch the crying baby. Baby doesn't latch. And you come to the realization that you're going to have to feed the baby another way and express milk. So now you have a crying, frustrated baby. You yourself are crying and frustrated. And now you also have to get someone else to feed the baby so that you can express milk, or you have to sit and wait while you feed the baby and experience that anxiety. And then you still have to express milk. So that's the simplest example of how that all starts to pile up. And so when, when we recommend those techniques and those tools and devices, we really have to think about what that experience is going to be like for that person and make sure that when we do need to recommend that as an appropriate technique or routine, that we are always making clear that distinction of what is temporary and what we expect to change and get better over time. Having to use a lot of devices or tools or choosing to use them can contribute to a desire to wean or pressure to wean from other people who see the additional workload that it's putting on, who are looking at it and saying, oh my goodness, just to breastfeed, you have to use that tube when the baby's at the breast. That's so much extra work. Why don't you just do something else? So that pressure or that internal desire of, I just don't know if I can handle all these extra things and having all this extra stuff that can really contribute to that desire to just completely let it all go. It can lead to feelings of failure as in, you know, my body didn't do what it needed to do. And then I had to go buy a thing to make it do what it needed to do. That can be a really depressing symptom, a really a big contributor to feeling like you're not doing this right or you can't do this well. And in a more subtle way, something we'll never be able to measure very well, it can lead to parents feeling out of sync with their baby, especially when people are using breast pumps and milk expression routines. It doesn't lead to them feeling synced up or synchronized with what their baby is asking for. Because their pumping or milk expression routine does not tend to match up with when the baby is actually asking to be fed or to go to the breast. So the extra work and the extra tasks and the, the desynchronization of milk expression with what the baby is asking for can really leave people feeling discoordinated with their baby. They're just not like they're not on the same plan anymore. And that's really frustrating for people. So all of these outcomes are possible for somebody who is using a lot of products or one product for somebody who is using them because they need to because there's a situation that they're trying to resolve or people who have sort of just ended up using things because someone recommended it who wasn't really involved in caring for them lactation wise but made a recommendation or maybe they read about it online and they thought this was the answer to what they needed to do. So let's talk about this in terms of, you know, how we can make sure that we are clearly distinguishing what we're doing and what we're recommending to people so that when we do need to be a product specialist, when we do need to recommend things, that we're being clear about that and we're being obvious. What is an intervention? So an intervention in lactation is a tool or a technique used either voluntarily by the parent or by medical necessity to sustain or improve breastfeeding and lactation. 
So it solves a problem or it's the parent's personal choice to use the thing. So we're solving a problem that, that you know, we've evaluated with them or they simply that's the way they want to do things or that's the thing that they want to use. So then it, when when we get involved and start being a part of this conversation, we want to uh, remember always that a tool is a product and that the maker of that product wants to sell more products and that they want people to believe that they have, might have, or will have the problem that the tool solves. So any marketing message, that's what it's all about. The marketing message of the maker of a product wants people to believe that they have right now, they might have or will have the problem that their tool is going to solve. Lactation care, on the other hand, is itself an intervention which can often eliminate the need or the feeling that someone needs a product. So the simplest way to, uh, to think of this one is when you think of nipple creams and ointments that are sold for the purpose of helping with nipple pain or trauma. When we explain to people that simply putting some of their own expressed breast milk on the nipple can help with the healing process, some people will choose not to use their financial resources to purchase a cream or an ointment. They may simply try the breast milk solution and find that that's effective for them and that they don't need to spend $10 or $15 or however much on a product that's going to make their nipples better. So that's part of lactation care. That's an example of how we can sometimes eliminate that need or that feeling that someone actually needs a product. And lactation care also comes with the information that people really need to have about improving latch and making feeding better to prevent pain and trauma in the first place. Whereas if they go to the store or they simply press order on their online account, they're not getting the information they need about how to make that problem go away. They're simply getting a product which is going to hopefully cure their symptom but it's not necessarily going to fix the cause. So a framework for recommending devices and tools that we can use begins with adopting a mindset of scarcity. Most people don't really need things. Some people do, but most people really don't. And in the textbook, Interdisciplinary Lactation Care, published in 2019, it's one of my very favorite texts because I find it very clear and easy to read. This book says the appropriate and conservative use of breastfeeding devices increases healthcare providers' effectiveness in helping with breastfeeding. So to me, that's really where we begin, that mindset of scarcity. Now, the re responsibility lies with us as lactation care providers to know how to help with lactation, whether or not products, devices, or tools are available. We have to sharpen our skill sets to know how to help anyone, anywhere, regardless of what's available or accessible to them, regardless of what they can afford, regardless of what country or state we're in. And I, when I think about this, I often think about when IBCLCs and midwives go to provide care and render services in the example of a refugee camp, where the likelihood of being able to access any type of device or product uh, for helping with lactation, super low. And even if they could, how 
would we ensure that the person who needed to use that product would be able to appropriately clean it, maintain it, keep track of it in that type of a crisis setting? This is real life. We need to be able to help people improve their lactation situation without stuff, in addition to being able to help them with stuff. You know, so for whatever reason, wherever they are and whatever is going on, there isn't anyone else who knows this. It's our responsibility to know how to how to do this. And I'm not saying no one else knows it besides lactation care providers, but we are the sort of the last line of defense when it comes to this. We have to be the ones who are the experts on being able to improve lactation with or without stuff. And our foundational training really provides us with the skills and techniques that we need to assist with everything that is going to result in optimal lactation. So whether stuff is there and accessible or not, we can help people make breastfeeding better, make lactation better, improve or optimize their milk production, all the goals that they have, you know, wean with dignity and without pain. All of the things that they need to do, that's what we can do, whether or not there's stuff around. Now, of course, we're balancing out with that that need as well to understand all the products and tools and devices that are out there, how they can potentially make things better, and how they're appropriately used, which in many cases is a temporary use. But the client always holds that ultimate authority to decide whether or not they're going to use the technique or process or product that we're recommending. So again, it all goes back to, we can have the greatest plan in the world to make their lactation situation better, but they may hear the entire thing and think, I am not going to do all that. I do not want to do that. That does not feel right for me. That will not work in my family. So we still have to know how to help them if they decide that what we're saying is not going to work in their family. Or they're not going to be able to do that. Our role there is to educate, inform, and anticipate, not to influence them or persuade them. So we have to make sure that our own biases, our own, you know, nothing looks as if we are acting with any kind of a conflict of interest, that we are trying to sell them something or get them to buy something or rent something um, or get them to use something that we are in any way involved with. It's really an important thing for people to be able to see that our our role here is an is totally objective educator um, who is definitely trying to help them rather than trying to help ourselves in any way. So we'll use intentional language, which is clear and describes function and talks about the temporary use of things versus transitioning to something for a more permanent use. We'll ask them what they already know what they've heard, what they have on hand, you know, if we're talking about a device or a product, are they asking us about it because they already bought one, because they've already tried one, because they've simply heard about it but don't even know how to buy it? It helps to avoid I statements, things that begin with I, like I find that people who use this product or I think that you should try this. But go back to our counseling language of some parents find, some families decide, some families choose to. And that we talk about the existing evidence or research. Some families find that this is helpful, even though there isn't a lot of published research about it. It's easy to 
easily to sort of simply describe what we actually know about things and make sure that people understand what we're saying. We're not saying that people have been using this for thousands of years because that's never true. Um, and we're never implying that everyone uses something. We're never saying, you know, that something is supported by evidence if it's not. That's a really important thing for people to understand. So we start by um, assuming nothing special or extra is going to be needed when we're evaluating a diet. No matter what they've told us the problem is, we want to make sure that we start from that assumption. Just like we start from the assumption that when someone is exclusively breastfeeding, we start by assuming that that's going to work and be all that the baby needs. And then we let any problems arise to the surface. We look for the red flags that tell us that it's not working. We don't start by assuming that it's not going to work and then look for the ways it's not working. We assume it's going to work and then let the problems rise to the surface. If we observe any problems or needs during an evaluation, then we clearly identify them. We talk about them with the client. We help them understand what we're seeing and what is what we might be um, ready to move through or move on to. If we identify a problem, then we discuss the simplest potential techniques or routines which might resolve it. And when I say simple, I mean simple. The power of skin to skin to resolve many problems is often overlooked. The importance of excellent latch technique and the keys to infant positioning. We don't want our clients to forget how important those things are and how much more important they are than any device or tool that they're thinking about using, any product they're thinking about getting to improve their nipple pain or trauma. We don't want them to forget about the necessity for frequent milk removal to maintain or improve their milk production, to optimize their milk production. We want to make sure that we emphasize, focus on, and never forget the importance of the simplest things that we've known that are time-tested, that are evidence-based, and that are physiologically plausible. These are the most important techniques that we ever talk about. And those are what make us process specialists. So when we are talking about those things, that is the place where we are really showing off that lactation process specialization that we have. And then finally, if a product might be needed or if the client is asking about one, brings it into the conversation, we discuss the potential positive and negative outcomes. We talk about if we're thinking that this family might need this product, then we talk about why. We, but we don't leave out the part about how there can be some negative consequences as well. We discuss fully the potential effects on their situation. And we're clear and intentional about any perceived or actual conflicts. And, you know, this kind of stuff comes up for people depending on their work setting, where you practice. It's kind of, you know, there can, be, there can be conflicts that look like conflicts, you know, when it comes to if you work in a place where they also rent breast pumps and you're recommending a pump to a client and, you know, their impression could be that you recommend pumps to everyone because they, you know, you want them to rent one there because you have some sort of a, you know, a, an investment in that. 
So we want, just want to be really clear and explain to people why we're recommending things, the function of that, and you know how that could potentially impact negatively and positively their situation so that they really understand that. And that's the part where we're product specialists. And when we do talk to them about the products that they are using or intend to use or need to use, we talk about temporary use. We talk about uh, you know, potentially transitioning that into something more permanent in their routine. We teach them how to use those things and where to find more information about that. If we're not particularly feeling skilled in using that kind of a product, we find them another resource for that. Whether that means a referral to a different IBCLC who's more skilled with that product, um, whether that's you know something that we have found a resource that they can read or watch online, that's really good. There's nothing wrong with saying, I don't really know a whole lot about that, but let me connect you with someone who does. We want them to be able to use products to the best of their abilities. And if we're not the right person to help them with that, move it along the line. You know, we have to be able to draw those boundaries around what we are good at and what we need to utilize the, the width and the breadth of this field and the knowledge that people have. I personally am not an expert in many things that have to do with products. There are some things I am really good at and there are some things I am not really good at. So if a client came to me with a question um, or a need or something that I really don't have a lot of experience with, I try to be really upfront with them about that and find them that resource as quick as possible so that they don't have any delays because I know they need that. They need to be able to use products appropriately. So finally, I want to just remind us all to just adjust our lens always, to focus on simplicity and helping our clients to simplify their lactation process as much as possible. It's completely possible to have a very product-free experience or a very low need product or process experience of lactation. Whether someone is expressing milk exclusively and feeding it to their baby, there doesn't have to be a lot of products involved in that situation. If somebody is feeding their baby at the chest or breast, they don't have to use a lot of things. Sometimes people want to use a lot of things and we end up getting, you know, trying to hear that story and looking for the ways which it's impacting or causing the problems they've come to us for. We want to help them be able to simplify as much as possible because we know, and they may not, that using products and tools can have very different mental health effects on different people. We can never assume that using a lot of products is going to be benign. The same way we can't assume that chest feeding and breastfeeding are going to be delightful experiences for everyone who does them. We don't make assumptions about those things. We evaluate one by one and we're careful and intentional with our public messaging and our, our group type messaging that we put out there into the world. So please, this is your, your episode reminder to be really proud of how hard you are working and how well you are supporting people. And I hope that this conversation has made you think and either reinforced some of the things you're thinking and doing or given you some things to think about. Um, maybe you even disagree with some of the things that I've said, 
again, it's a conversation. So let me know if you're thinking about um, something in a way that doesn't quite align with what I've said. I'd love to hear if you feel like this was helpful or not. Please let me know. Send me a message on Instagram. It's probably the best way to to get hold of me at this point on Instagram at IBCLC and CA. And I'll be back next time with another episode of the Lactation Training Lab podcast. Bye for now.